Hello everyone and welcome to the Backtracker History Show podcast with me, Alice, where we go on a gentle stroll through the archives to discover intriguing tales about people and events that happened in the past, all of which will be brought to life by an array of amazing voice talent from across the world. We have stories about a huge variety of subjects, from activists to war heroes, creatives and of course, murderers. And today's episode is no exception. I'll be talking about a family who fought to make the world a better place for everyone. The Davenport Hill family originated in Birmingham, where Matthew Davenport Hill was born on the 6th of August, 1792. His father worked in the private schools Hazelwood and Bruce Castle, and one of his brothers was Sir Roland Hill, the postal reformer, and the other was prison inspector Frederick Hill. Matthew himself was the first recorder of Birmingham, and bankruptcy commissioner for the Bristol district. Together with his wife, Margaret Bucknell, they had three daughters, Florence, Rosamond and Joanna, born in Chelsea, London. The family were all active social, educational and prison reformers. Matthew was a British lawyer and penologist, many of whose suggested reforms in the treatment of criminals were enacted into law in England. He studied law at Lincoln's in London and was called to the bar in 1819 after a term in the House of Commons. He believed that crime could be prevented by reformation in prison, ending in the convict's release on a showing of good behaviour throughout his prison term and by life imprisonment of incorrigibles without the possibility of parole. In 1853 and 1864, Penal Servitude Acts passed by Parliament were based on these principles. Word of the Week And now, the word I give you this week is... Penology, derived from the word pena, Latin for punishment, and the Greek suffix of logia, or the study of. It's a subcomponent of criminology, and the Oxford English Dictionary defines penology as the study of the punishment of crime and prison management. Matthew's girls were educated both in schools and at home. While the family lived in London, they moved in a wide circle of reformers and writers, including William Thackeray. Growing up in such an environment fueled the sisters' belief in social responsibility, political awareness, prison and educational reform, particularly where it applied to girls. In 1851, the Hill family moved to Bristol, and it was here that Matthew Davenport Hill's involvement with prison reform brought him into close contact with Mary Carpenter. In 
a local well-known educational and social reformer who worked tirelessly for society's poorest children and the reform of the treatment of juvenile delinquents. Actually, Matthew had met Murray Carpenter in the summer of 1812 at a party in Aberystwyth when he was recuperating from an illness as a young man. Rosamond and her sisters became part of Mary Carpenter's reforming circle, with Rosamond teaching in Mary's St. James Back Ragged School. This was Bristol's first ragged school, set up for... The instruction and moral improvement of those whose poverty, habits and mode of processing subsistence have unfitted them for belonging to any other school. The school was set up on August the 1st, 1846, in a room in Lewinsmead, a street well known for rather vicious inhabitants. The schoolmaster, Mr Grant, started the attendance off by literally going around the local area and rounding up a number of idle loyalist boys, telling them he was opening a school the following day and it would be free to anyone who wanted to come to learn to read and write. And so the following day, three boys showed up in the morning and a further 14 in the afternoon. Here's an extract from the master's diary. That afternoon, I shall never forget, only 13 or 14 boys present, some swearing, some fighting, some crying. One boy struck another's head through the window. I tried to offer up a short prayer, but found it impossible. The boys, instead of kneeling, began to tumble over one another and to sing Jim Crow. With persistence, though, the school grew and had to move premises to a chapel on Silver Street, St James Back which was hired for a year. The school had a regular attendance of 30 boys, ranging in age from 6 to 17. Whilst Rosamond was working at the Ragged School, she took a keen interest in the issue of prison discipline and, with Mary Carpenter, was a co-founder of Stanhope House Industrial School for Girls in Bristol. She was also treasurer and assisted in the emigration of pauper children to the colonies. While Mary Carpenter travelled abroad in the 1860s, Rosamond took charge of the industrial school, along with Mary's brother-in-law, Herbert Thomas. In 1832, Matthew Davenport Hill had publicly supported women's suffrage, and in January 1868, he sent out a circular permitting his daughters to invite to his house anyone interested in forming a society to promote women's suffrage. The result was the founding of the Bristol and Clifton branch of the National Society for Women's Suffrage in 1868, the fourth such society. Whilst I was doing my research about the father, Matthew Davenport Hill, I was reading through his Birmingham records and he was really a very admirable man. Even as his health was fading, he still fulfilled his duties that he held dear. As president of the Kingswood Reformatory Committee, he attended one of its meetings in the middle of April 1872 
astonishing his colleagues by his liveliness and vigour, even though he had been poorly for quite a while. A fortnight later, he held a May Day celebration at his home for the whole school, when, including the friends who gave their time to make the festival a happy one, his guests numbered nearly 200. As the eldest, Rosamond was especially close to her father. She acted as his private secretary and visited prisons and reformatories with him in Great Britain and in Europe. Throughout her life, she published papers and would make presentations on prison reform, education, female emigration and temperance. Rosamond was originally Anglican, but after her father's death on the 7th of June, 1872, aged 79, she became Unitarian. Rosamond's mother had died several years earlier, on the 31st of October, 1867, after a fall at Heath House, Stapleton, that fractured her thigh. <laughs> Word on the street. Today, we travel to Playford Gardens in BS11. These were named after Mary Playford, the recipient of poor relief in 1662 and buried in Westbury on the 4th of November 1679. And she's not the only one to give her name to a road. The inspiration for many roads in this area was from the old Westbury Poor Book, edited by Reverend H.J. Wilkins, from which names of recipients of relief were taken. After their father's death, Florence and Rosamond left Bristol and travelled to Australia. They published accounts of the institutions they visited in New South Wales and later wrote a biography of their father. They next settled in London, where Rosamond was elected to the school board in 1879, serving for nearly 20 years. And during her time there, she was noted for her work in relation to industrial schools and for her advocacy on teaching cookery to girls, again publishing an influential article on the subject. In 1895, she was appointed a life governor of University College, London. And her activities in London didn't end there because she was notably active in the women's movement. But her activities brought them in contact with women such as Millicent Fawcett, and they supported women's suffrage. When Rosamond and Florence retired, they moved to a house on London Road, Headington, Oxford, called Ellerslie. They would later change the name to Hillstow. Unfortunately, this house was demolished in 2009. But during their time there, Rosamond loved the garden and sent flowers from it to invalids and to teachers and children at her London schools. When her former boys from the Brentwood Industrial School, which is now named the Davenport Hill Home for Boys, were home on leave after fighting in India or South Africa, she often invited them to spend a few days with her here in her Headington home. Grace King stayed in the village of Old Headington at this time, and in her book Memories of a Southern Woman of Letters, she mentions Hillstow. On our way through the village, we remarked a pretty little retired cottage surrounded by flowers. It turned out to be the home of Mrs Davenport Hill, 
Nisa Rowland Hill, the author of The Penny Post System, and more interesting to us, the cousin of Florence Nightingale. When Mrs Hill heard of us in the village, she invited us to tea, a pretty and pleasant tea. She was past middle age and best age for making friends of strangers. On the 12th of June 1901, Rosamond attended the annual meeting of the State Children's Association in London. And according to Ethel Metcalfe's memoir of Rosamond Davenport Hill, published in 1904, she was already aware that she was dying in June 1901 and decided to help the Headington villagers and occupied her waking thoughts with plans for the assistance of her poorer village neighbours who were suffering from an epidemic aggravated, if not caused, by impure water. During the dark and lonely hours, she had devised a simple arrangement that was carried out next morning that would have enabled them to take advantage of the pure water supply of Hillstow, but the cottagers did not understand the value of what was offered to them, and the sickness continued. Rosamond died in 1902 at Hillstow, the day after her 77th birthday, and her obituary was published in the Times two days later. Florence died in 1919. They were both cremated, and then their remains interred in the grave with their parents at Arnus Vale in Bristol. Rosamond continued to support the causes close to her heart, even after death, by leaving £500, which equals to around 49000 in today's money, to Girton College, and the same to the London Female Medical School. Rosamond's younger sister, Florence, was also influential in social reform. She subscribed to the Enfranchisement of Women Committee, or EWC, in 1866, and became a member of the Bristol and West England Society for Women's Suffrage, and of the Central Committee of the NSWS, or National Union of Women's Suffrage Societies, joining its executive committee in 1893. Florence later went on to organise an appeal to the House of Commons in 1895 to collect women's signatures from all over the country, building upon previous attempts by gathering 257,796 signatures. This was presented in Westminster Hall, in 1896, but failed to make a difference, like other appeals before it. And it would seem that after her beloved sister's death, Florence became even more active. Amongst other conferences and meetings, she spoke at the first public meeting of the Oxford Women's Suffrage Society held in Somerville College in February 1905. In 1906, she subscribed to the Central Society of Women's Suffrage and its successor, the London Society for Women's Suffrage, having moved to London from Bristol. Florence took a special interest in the reform of treatment of pauper children, especially orphans, and was an advocate of boarding out for such children, rather than admitting them to the workhouse, and she served as a poor law guardian in St Pancras. Florence was elected as a poor law guardian four times between 1881 and 1884 in St Pancras, London. 
She was a member in the 1880s and 1890s of the Oxford Women's Liberal Association, the only political organisation at the time to hold meetings about women's suffrage. She was also elected to the Council of Hampstead Liberal Association in 1885. In 1889, she took over her uncle's position in Hampstead, London. Florence had been a suffragist since at least 1866, and on the 16th of March 1912, the Times published her letter about the need for women to be allowed to vote, stating, Now that we are calling on women to undertake like positions, from which till lately they have been jealously I may add, often even contemptuously excluded. Surely they should have the aid, as far as possible, of like conditions. Of these, the parliamentary vote, though little used or valued by many present possessors, would be, for reasons I have given, an asset of great importance. In 1913, the National Union of Women's Suffrage Societies organised a pilgrimage marching from Carlisle to London. They stayed at the Lamb and Flag Hotel in Oxford on the night of Sunday the 15th of July and at 10am on the Monday, they marched through Headington. They made a special detour through Florence's back garden in Headington so that she could support it despite being frail and then over 80 years old. Florence died in her beloved home, Hillstow, Headington, on the 2nd of November 1919, at the age of 90. Her remains are interred in a grave in Arnes Fell along with her sister and her parents. They had been laid to rest there some 40 years earlier. In her will, she left money to a number of causes, including the National Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Children, or the NSPCC, as well as the Women's Local Government Society and the London Medical School for Women. Hey, hey! Are you that weird one in your friends group that loves to watch true crime documentaries? Have you ever wanted to learn more about the lesser known crimes? And are you fascinated with ghost stories? I'm Hannah, the creator, editor, and host of Murder Bucket, a podcast that talks about, get this, murders, paranormal activity, abductions, kidnappings, and weird stuff. Join me every Tuesday, wherever you listen to podcasts, to get the inside scoop on some of the most interesting topics in the true crime world. I am also very active on social media. You can find me on Instagram at MurdBucket, Facebook at BucketMurd, and Twitter at TheMurderBucket. In the news today, boffins at Bradley Stoke Labs have made a shocking discovery. They found out that aliens haven't visited our solar system yet because they looked at the reviews. Only one star. Back in the day facts. Back in the day facts. 
the 28th of January 1889, four miners lost their lives in an explosion at Dean Lane Colliery in Southville, Bristol. Also on the 28th, but in 1983, British rock and roll singer Billy Fury died of heart failure, aged only 42. On the 29th of January in 1856, Queen Victoria issues a warrant under the Royal Sign Manual that establishes the Victoria Cross to recognise acts of valour by British military personnel during the Crimean War. It is now one of the highest awards a British soldier can receive. It requires an act of extreme bravery in the presence of the enemy and has achieved almost mythical status, with recipients often revered as heroes. The National Army Museum holds 39 VCs, each accompanied by an inspiring tale of gallantry and daring. And since its creation in 1856, there have been 1,358 VCs awarded. This total includes three bars granted to soldiers who won a second VC and the cross awarded to the unknown American soldier. The most recent was awarded to Lance Corporal Joshua Leakey of the 1st Battalion, the Parachute Regiment, whose VC was gazetted in February 2015 following an action in Afghanistan on the 22nd of August 2013. On the 30th of January 1661, Oliver Cromwell, Lord Protector of the Commonwealth of England, is ritually executed more than two years after his death on the 12th anniversary of the execution of the monarch he himself deposed. The 31st of January 1918 saw the Battle of May Island, the name given to a series of accidents. It was named after the Isle of May, a nearby island in the Firth of Forth, and the battle consisted of a disastrous series of accidents amongst Royal Navy vessels on their way from Rosyth in Scotland to fleet exercises in the North Sea. Five collisions occurred between eight ships. Two K-class submarines were lost and three other submarines and a light cruiser were damaged. 105 British soldiers in total died in the accidents. On the 1st of February, 1835, Slavery is abolished in Mauritius, and on the 2nd of February, 1814, the last of the River Thames frost fairs comes to an end. Well, that's the signal for the end of another show, and I hope you enjoyed learning about this hugely influential family. And before I go on, I have to say a huge thank you to those who really brought this story to life. And today we had Steve Shepherd from our very own Bradley Stoke Radio, as well as Cerise Reed, Sam Roberts and Kate Kendall. Thank you, one and all. Thank you once again for listening to me, Alice, on the Backtracker History Show. If you'd like to get in touch with me, you can find me on Twitter or Facebook by looking up at Backtracker UK with a capital B, a capital T and a capital UK. I also occasionally post onto TikTok and Instagram. 
So do come along and find me because it's amazing to hear from you and get some feedback or even ideas for future shows. As a small independent podcaster, your help and support is always appreciated. And one way you can do that is to rate the show wherever you get your podcasts. Leaving a review also helps as it gives other people an idea of what the show's about. The show is regularly released on Mondays. So until next time, guys, take care and look after each other. <laughs>